Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event, even eSports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. And howdy then, everyone. Welcome into the Bird Gang Blitz, recording on a Thursday night. I got my co-host, as always, Johnny with me. Johnny, how are you doing today? Good, Blake. It's great to be back here on the Bird Gang Blitz, and we're in the midst of uh, some uncharted territory, at least for the first time since 2013. The Arizona Cardinals don't have a head coach. Absolutely, and uh, they're taking about just as long to find a head coach that, as they did last time, which is fascinating. Um, we'll spend a bit of time with the head coach. Uh, I know there's plenty that will be going on. In fact, by the time that we uh, finish recording this, there may be updated news tomorrow for all we know. I'm recording this on a Thursday night. Uh, we've already had a couple of head coaches that are signed, and then we'll be shifting into looking at kind of a little bit more of a recap on 2017. We spend the majority of uh, – the first show after the season ended, just kind of going over the impact of Bruce Arians' retirement, Carson Palmer's retirement. Um, we haven't really talked as much about the rest of the team, so let's get into that. Um, uh, so let's start just by taking a look at the head coaching candidates and the developments that have happened there. You've got uh, a couple of names that seem to be pretty much locked down on the job so far, as far as even though some of them can't interview a second time, uh, there's been some developments. And couple of unexpected twists. We've had Pat Shermer, who is a name that many had linked to the Cardinals, along with Case Keenum as potentially a quarterback solution, or perhaps bringing along a Bridgewater or a Bradford. He seems to be locked into the New York Giants. Um, he kind of had his pick of the litter, especially after a incredible playoff game against the uh, New Orleans Saints, where Case Keenum uh, basically outdueled Drew Brees, despite the fact that he looked pretty shaken up in the fourth. Uh, we've got Matt Patricia seems to be locked into the Detroit job. Um, and I think that was kind of the biggest key for the Cardinals. 
if Matt Patricia had been locked into, um, say, the Giants job, you probably would have been able to have an avenue open for Pat Shermer to come to Arizona. That is basically the news that I had heard um, over the week because Detroit was very set on a defensive coach. They really liked Jim Bob Cooter, and they wanted to keep that rolling and try to have a defensive coach. Uh, the other name that's kind of not as much a surprise that he's a head coach again, but perhaps the timing and situation is the news of Josh McDaniels to the Indianapolis Colts. Now, he wasn't a guy that the Cardinals interviewed per se and he seems to have wanted to kind of have a maybe not perfect situation but he's a good connections there he'll have either Andrew Luck or a quarterback he's worked with before in Jacoby Brissett I really don't think that Brissett's going to be an option for the Cardinals especially if Luck's shoulder is going to be um, up in the air as far as that so with a couple of these names and the performances some of these quarterbacks are also kind of dwindling down on the free agent market as well and uh, then we've had two unexpected twists, which we're going to talk about here in a sec, John. Uh, Mike Malarkey was let go by the New England, uh, excuse me, uh, by the Tennessee Titans following their 35 to seven blowout by the New England Patriots just a day before. He had been getting. Uh, full accolades from the coaching staff saying they wanted him back next year, a kind of a full vote of supports. And even up to the minute, it seemed like before he was fired, there were still people saying that he was going to be good for next year. Ownership turned heel. The general managers apparently wanted him out, some of the other organization. And all of a sudden you now have, instead of zero players left besides yourself in the head coach game, you now have a competitor in Tennessee that does have a quarterback in Marcus Mariota. The second twist, and this will be something we'll talk about uh, as well, is going to be Mike Munchak, uh, speaking of Titans connections, turned down the Cardinals head coaching uh, job as far as her declining a second interview. He said it family. Perhaps he thought he had a shot at the offensive coordinator situation. Uh, let's talk about some of these two twists, John. What are your thoughts so far on what's happened as far as with the current coaches and then these kind of unexpected turns that we've seen as this part of the process? Well, I think – the Cardinal fans, you know, of the world need to be realistic with themselves in regards to, you know, this job and how it's perceived publicly. You know, locally, I think it's viewed as maybe the most stable job within the, the Phoenix, you know, Arizona regime area, what have you, based on, you know, the Suns dysfunction, what's going on with, you know, Arizona, Arizona State, uh, switching coaches again. Uh, the Cardinals look like the model franchise uh, with their stability with Bruce Arians. They didn't, of course, fire Bruce Arians. He elected to retire, and so they're looking for the first time since 2013. Uh, what I will say is that this is a team without a franchise quarterback, and the majority of these teams that are looking for new coaches uh, and the teams that have hired new coaches all have – either a franchise quarterback in place or somebody who they think could be the guy, a la a Mitch Trubisky. Um, you've got, you know, Andrew Luck, assuming he's healthy. That Indianapolis job is is certainly at the top of many people's list. Derek Carr and John Gruden, Matthew Stafford, Matt Patricia, um, now Marcus Mariota. He's going to have, I would imagine, a lot of suitors. The Cardinals don't have that. What the Cardinals have is a top five defense, an offense that you're essentially going to be asking a coach to start from scratch outside of maybe one year of Larry Fitzgerald and David Johnson, uh, and no quarterback. You're in quarterback purgatory. Um, you're probably going to be in the middle of, of the cap area, assuming that you make some personnel changes. And when it comes down to it, you're picking 15th in the draft. You went eight and eight last year. You went eight and eight with, um, on top of going five and three with Drew Stanton and Blaine Gabbert. That, I think we would agree, was a lot of uh, product of Bruce Arians. The next head coach you get, 
probably, at least early on, won't be as good as Bruce Arians. So there are a lot of question marks surrounding this franchise, but I think they've built up some stability, some credibility around the league. And I think that hopefully their selling point is patience. Their selling point is, you know what, we're going to go out and we're going to work together to find a franchise quarterback. We're going to play off of this defense that we have that we built through the draft. Uh, off of David Johnson, who a year ago was, you know, either the runner-up or, or top five in the MVP voting. Um, so it's going to take the right hire, but I think at the same time, you don't have a franchise quarterback in place, and that spells uncertainty for a lot of these candidates. You used to kind of have to, you know, get the candidates to sell themselves to you. Now, very much, it's the flip side. The Cardinals are are probably Steve Kime, Michael Bidwell, selling themselves to the Matt Patricias of the world, to the Pat Shermers of the world. Um, and that necessarily isn't against, you know, the norm for a lot of these teams. You talk about Hugh Jackson not um, losing his job, being retained in Cleveland 0-16. I think the reality is who are you going to get to come in and coach that team and be part of that franchise when they make so many coaching changes? There's a big picture to all this. So, I like that the Cardinals are doing their due diligence. I like that they're being patient. I think that the names on the free uh, free agent coaching market don't overwhelm you. You know, outside of maybe Patricia and Josh McDaniels, you know, Pat Shermer a year ago was just a guy. You know, a lot of these coaches, Matt Nagy, you know, either was just a guy or a complete unknown. I think there are still plenty of good quality coaches for the Cardinals to entertain, um, you know, like a John DiFilippo, like a Jim Swartz, um, that they could bring in for a second interview this week or next week. Um, and I think they'll be fine. There hasn't been a coach really that I feel like has gotten hired elsewhere that the Cardinals, you know, completely whiffed or missed out on. I think that this is very similar to the 2013 process where you had a lot of the, you know, the big names go off the board early on and the Cardinals did their due diligence and Bruce Arians ended up being the best hire of that group. Uh, you look at, you know, two years ago when a lot of these hires were made and the Philadelphia Eagles coach is really the best coach left remaining. Uh, I wonder if the Cardinals will go that same route and go with, you know, the, the Eagles quarterback coach, John DeFilippo, who is getting a second interview. That would be my first choice. But again, um, you know, Steve and Michael are doing their due diligence. They're taking their time. They have time. I think the only thing, Blake, that works against them is if you wanted to have a head coach in place for next week's Senior Bowl, I think that would be, you know, beneficial. So if you're talking about New England or, or, or Philadelphia uh, going to the Super Bowl, that's going to be, you know, a little bit of a drawback. But Steve is very much, you know, of the mindset that, you know, he can take visits. He can do, you know, individual scouting for himself I know that New England linebacker coach Foster has a scouting background um, so if they were to win I think it would be you know beneficial for him to to study up on some senior bowl tape after the season were to, were to end but I don't think it's going to put the Cardinals behind the barrel but it's going to be an interesting dynamic if we go through not only the remainder of this week as as we record this podcast on January 18th but all of next week without a head coach and then you talk about the week after preparation for the Super Bowl um, we could be sitting here, you know, you talk about two weeks from now, the Cardinals may not be able to, to announce their hire um, at the earliest until February 5th. I mean, that seems crazy to think about. But uh, you talk about, let's say, the New England Patriots win the Super Bowl. The Lions are going to have to do the same thing. The Colts are going to have to do the same thing. We saw what San Francisco had to do last year with Kyle Shanahan 
coming from Atlanta and playing in the Super Bowl. It was kind of a handshake agreement. So it can work out, but it's just the Cardinals right now are in uncharted waters. But at the same time, I feel comfortable with where they're at based on the, the pool of candidates that they've interviewed and the guys that have already been nabbed. Definitely. And you're mentioning kind of um, as far as the other two coaches who were hired in, John Gruden and Matt Nagy. And it's interesting that there's been a very different approach as far as for them building their staff. Part of it is you look at Gruden bringing in Tom Cable and Greg Olson, two of the longtime, like old school NFL guys. And you look at Matt Nagy bringing in other arena football guys. He um, brought in the Notre Dame's uh, offensive line coach, uh, got Mark Helfridge. He's going to be running a very uh, – even almost a college scheme, you could say at least, which will be, I think, very favorable to Mitch Trubisky as far as his development. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely one of those areas where last uh, time a year ago, or I should say at least uh, five years ago when Bruce Arians was hired in 2013, it was yesterday he was hired. So you at least still had the entire senior bowl to be able to go to and scout together as a group. Uh, unless the – let's say that the Philadelphia Eagles are the team, or let's say that um, Tom Brady for – some strange reason ends up taking a lot of hits. The Jaguars are able to pull off kind of what would be maybe a miraculous upset in that result. Um, it's possible the Cardinals could already have their guy in mind, and then they've just been waiting for Monday. But that doesn't seem to be what they've been saying. It's They've been on lockdown. Maybe they have a guy in mind, but they've been talking and very firm about wanting to get the coach out to their, uh, their facility, wanting to meet the other play, uh, maybe even players, but the other parts of the organization. It feels like almost from what Michael Bidwell, when he was talking about, you want to see them out there. I think part of it is they want to see how that fit is in that natural environment. Um, because if Bruce Arians came out, it was like an instant kind of click of just knowing this is the guy. It feels like it's not that they've had that instant click of knowing it was the guy. And part of it might be because last time Bruce Arians, he was like the only guy who was left. And it was that you kind of lucked out in the fact that you were able to land him. This time, I think it's more of they're trying to be super cautious uh, as far as they're making sure that they don't make a huge error. Um, seems to be the case, or perhaps they're still feeling they're having to sell guys on, come out to our awesome facilities, see what we have going on here. This is great. It's maybe them trying to have to sell the job to people. Or do you feel uncomfortable about it in the league? This is, after all, a job we've talked about is for some would be the least desirable. Um, in my opinion, the ownership should be one of the strongest selling points. The general manager should be one of the strong selling points. And I think ultimately the fact is, is that if they do hire a coach, it's really going to come down to the coordinators, I think. So let's talk like a little bit and moving on to um, just talking a bit about Mike Munchak with him turning the job down. Uh, it's very interestingly timed because for about one hour, there was a lot of reports and rumors that maybe Todd Haley would be the offensive coordinator coming along with Mike Munchak with those connections. And then it was like in just about like 60 minutes later, it was all of a sudden like Munchak turned the job down and Haley was getting released. And it was just things escalated so quickly. Let's talk a little bit about with uh, Munchak with part of the reason why he turned the job down while you and I both think that it's a good thing that a candidate turned down the Arizona Cardinals, which is kind of goes against the common thought and a little bit about Todd Haley. We've discussed on this show. Yeah, I was never a buyer into Mike Munchak to begin with. I thought it was a hire that really would have set the franchise back. I thought he was a, a retread head coach going with yet another you know, offensive coach for the Pittsburgh Spiros, obviously Arians before he went to Indianapolis. Ken Wisenhunt was the offensive coordinator. Munchak is the offensive line coach. Um, he is a limited coach. You talk about somebody who's going to be 58 years old when the season starts next year. Um, Bruce Arians was a tremendous coach for this franchise, but at the same time, his biggest drawback was the fact that, you know, he wasn't here long term because when the Cardinals hired him, he was 60 years old. So, 
I just never saw it as a match. It didn't make sense to me. But again, you, you heard local media praise you know, the interview process of Munchak based on the fact that he could get quality assistance and he, and he knew how to win. Um, I will say this in, in his defense that, you know, he did win nine games one season. You know, obviously he's the former Tennessee head coach. Uh, he did win nine games one year with uh, an old Matt Hasselback and, you know, a perennial bust in Jake Locker. But that was about, you know, that the extent of his highlight uh, during his time in Tennessee. And really, Blake, the biggest drawback was the reason he got fired was he was not willing to make staff changes, very similar to what we've seen with Bruce Arians and the fact that he wouldn't make a change on his staff with the likes of Amos Jones. So you talk about somebody who's stubborn, who probably is set in his ways. Uh, so it's it's very fortunate that the Cardinals were able to kind of dodge a bullet here, even if they don't see it that way. And I'll read you the statement from uh, Coach Mike Munchak. I made the decision to withdraw my name from the Arizona Cardinals head coaching search as they continue through their interview process, the timing for my family was not appropriate for me to pursue this potential opportunity, but I'm very excited with the decision to remain with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now I think this decision was made maybe with the mindset that he would in fact get the offensive coordinator job with Todd Haley not being retained, but now it's being reporting that Randy, I believe it's Fitchner is being elevated, I think, from quarterback coach to offensive coordinator. So Munchak is remaining as the offensive line coach. And again, Blake, I warmed up to the hire. I kind of talked myself into it because I am such a Todd Haley fan. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I was excited the, about the idea of them bringing Haley on board. I thought he could do wonders for a young quarterback. And I knew that the Cardinals, if they were to get Haley in that capacity, that he's really never going to sniff a head coaching job again unless he completely reshapes his image. But I think he would be, you know, a tremendous asset. I still do for a young quarterback. So you knew and know that you'd be able to keep him around long-term. So Munchak with Haley, I think would have been, you know, a decent start, assuming that maybe you'd be able to keep James Besher. I think that's, that's something that I would have entertained, but at the same time, you know, he was one of my least desirable candidates as a head coach. I, people talk about the job he's done with the steel offensive line. You know, are they bringing Mike Pouncey to the desert? Are they bringing David DeCastro? These are, you know, perennial first round, all pro players that the Steelers have drafted and developed. You know, I don't contribute that to Mike Munchak. Uh, he's dealing with, you know, superstar offense with the likes of Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown and Artavius Bryant, Judy Smith-Schuster, and obviously Big Ben. Um, for, uh, for me, his job is really just to ensure that, guys play up to the capabilities up front. And a lot of those guys were there before he was brought on board, Pouncey and DeCastro specifically. So uh, I am very excited and was this week. I know you are too, Blake, that the Cardinals were able to dodge this bullet and can go a different direction, hopefully one of which that's younger than a 50-year-old, you know, cast off. Definitely. I think it's uh, interesting also to look at with Munchak is part of the thing we haven't talked about or and some of it at least mentioned is it's possible that Munchak was invited back for a second interview, but he ultimately either didn't want the job or felt that he wasn't going to get the job. So that might be a big part of what it is, is that saying, hey, we'll bring you back. We we'll want to have you again for a second time. But uh, for whatever case, uh, I do think one thing we want to at least consider that's a little bit different is when you look at how Chris Arians, Bruce's wife, how she reacted with everything this year, of not just with her 
personality, but just like how like, you know, crazy and worried she was, but also Bruce talking about more time with his family and everything with that one. But the age that Mike's kids are right now, uh, I, I think that it does seem to play a, a role as far as for with moving around. If he was going to get a head coaching job, he probably would want a one where he's got a bit more control and then Steve would let him have as far as for picking his staff and B, um, I think that he would probably want to pick maybe not in the Pittsburgh area, but something as far as for the timing, if he's going to get a job again, maybe it's in a year or two and the kids have grown up a little bit more or they're willing to move. Um, I think that ultimately in the end, when you look at Todd Haley, I was not a fan of that one in part just because um, whether it was head coach or even as an offensive coordinator, I felt like the biggest area we've seen Todd Haley have success has been when they've had a bonafide franchise quarterback on the roster already. You see what he's done with Big Ben um, through for the 400 yards. Um, I, I think, honestly, he would have had such an impact on fixing the wide receiver situation <laughs> because you look at what those wide receivers have done at Pittsburgh, look at Arizona's roster. But ultimately, it's it's just an area where you can talk about the negatives in the Cardinals situation, but a lot of times you look at the Cardinals are having Mike McCoy um, strictly would not even interview for a first time with him. He wouldn't even talk to the Cardinals back in 2013. And he's now basically potentially being lined up as a name that's been floated out there for James Betcher as an offensive coordinator. So that's an area where you can see how some of these guys at least just kind of get their shot. It doesn't work out for that and they can kind of keep doing what they're best at. And for him, that's coaching the offensive line. Uh, so let's go ahead and take a, a look now at the candidates who are left. So far, we've basically had four candidates who've been named, at least as far as that we do know are expected to get second interviews. Um, that's going to be uh, Keith Armstrong, John Filippo, Steve Wilkes, and Brian Flores. And what's uh, interesting about this is that Armstrong and Wilkes, both out of the playoffs, Armstrong uh, was out with the Atlanta Falcons after they lost to the Philadelphia Eagles. And Flores is interesting as far as for – um, not just the name, but the fact that there's potentially three steel, uh, three Patriots offensive coordinators who could be leaving the team this year. And uh, this is kind of with Belichick, Brady, um, some reports have them on the ropes or not. You know, they always seem to kind of pull through any of those type of reports. But let's go in a little bit in depth about these, starting with Keith Armstrong, because he's a guy who a lot of Cardinals fans, they saw that he was getting a second interview or even that he was getting an interview in the first place. Just kind of went, what? Who's this? They saw him as a Bruce Arians uh, referred guy, kind of a courtesy interview, and he's getting a second one at least. He's the only coach over the age of 50. Yeah, he might even be the only coach at least over the age of 40 or 42 at least. Um, why do you think that Keith Armstrong is a, such an interesting name at least to the Cardinals that they bring him back a second time, and do you think that he has a shot at the job? I don't think he has a shot at the job, and that's not a, a, you know, a slight to him. I think that maybe they're attempting to lure him away, maybe – as a coordinator or if they could, you know, up his salary and make him, you know, their special teams coach at some point based on his resume and planting a seed there because of the horrific uh, past of the Cardinals special team blunders that we've, you know, highlighted week in and week out on this podcast, Blake. Um, I do think it was a courtesy to Bruce Arians considering, you know, he went to, to school at Temple. Uh, and he is a well-respected coach with, around the league. He's been a special teams coach in the league consistently uh, since 1997 with the Chicago Bears and the Miami Dolphins, and then has been the Atlanta special team coach since 2008. Uh, nothing uh, screams head coach to me when I, you know, characterize him against the other head um, head coaching candidates. Uh, I firmly believe that this is maybe planting a seed if we can somehow acquire him if there are changes made at any point during 
you know, Dan Quinn's era in Atlanta, if uh, potentially he becomes too expensive, um, you could bring him in and say, hey, we gave you an opportunity to interview for our job. Uh, as a head coach, would you consider coming over here as a coordinator or special teams coach? Uh, nothing more than that. I think that the Cardinals know what they want in a head coach. I think they hopefully, fingers crossed, want somebody younger, somebody innovative, somebody who can motivate. Um, you know, by all accounts, Keith Armstrong is a nice special teams coordinator and, and nothing more. Well, what's interesting that I'd say, at least just to kind of challenge and play a little devil's advocate here, is if that's the case and you wanted to learn about him, why bring him back for a second interview? Why not just have the first interview, be able to get kind of a good feel about it, and then try to put the staff together? And I think part of it is perhaps we are underestimating part of what the reason maybe they like Mike Munchak and part of the reason why they're getting a second interview is they are looking for that kind of disciplinarian guy who is able to keep accountability, to be able to keep the culture together. And I think that is something that we are maybe underestimating a little bit, uh, or perhaps maybe they're just taking a look at the special teams. What I do think about Armstrong is if you're talking about putting together a staff and Bruce Arians when he was hired as the head coach you kind of were like okay he's going to bring a couple of guys from Pittsburgh he said he knew he was going to bring Todd Bowles back from Philadelphia Todd Bowles had not done a great job as far as when he looked at Miami when he was the interim head coach and he took over a pathetic uh, Eagles defense that was just a mess in the secondary uh, he brought Todd Bowles in Ray Horton walked out and what's really interesting about all of it is that we didn't know the fact that he was going to bring back Tom Moore, who he worked with with uh, Peyton Manning, who was notably coached in like the first few Super Bowls even. And he brought in Tom Pratt, a 75-year-old, Larry Zerline as an offensive line coach. They had all sorts of connections to kind of put together almost like a superstar level of uh, kind of like the gung-ho, like one of those last rides, like the Space Cowboys movie or something, where you got all those old folks back together kind of for one last ride. That might be one of the benefits that Armstrong could bring, is he may actually have a slightly stronger staff than uh, Wilkes or DeFilippo might be able to bring. Do you think that makes an impact for you, or would you be still saying that if you're Steve Kine, would you still be looking at taking a risk on a younger guy and maybe a less experienced staff? Yeah, I I can appreciate the fact that they brought him back for a second interview, and again, I I still believe that if Mike Munchak potentially were to still be in the running, if Pat Shermer was still available, I think Keith Armstrong is pro- probably forced out of this second round of cuts. I think maybe. Perhaps he got a second interview by default, uh, considering the the availability or lack thereof of some of these other candidates. I just can't see them hiring, a, you know, a lifer special teams coach. Um, it would be ironic, wouldn't it? Uh, the Cardinals have some of the worst special teams of the past decade, and as we record this podcast, Amos Jones has found a new home as the new special teams coach of the Cleveland Browns, and isn't that you know super fitting? Uh, that those two entities find themselves together, but it just, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I don't think you can counter, you know, the likes of Kyle Shanahan, Pete Carroll, uh, what, you know, Goff and McVay have done in, in LA this year with a, a guy like Keith Armstrong. It's, it's not nearly, you know, the kind of move that the Cardinals need to make to, to, to make their ascension could be wrong. You know, John Harbaugh was a special teams coach, but again, he came from, you know, elite coaching family. I don't, I don't know if many Cardinal fans knew who Keith Armstrong was before this interview process started, to be honest. Definitely. Yeah. It would be kind of one of those areas of a surprise hire. And so far from what we've heard, we've, we've heard Keith Armstrong's name has been attached. We know he's flown into Phoenix. He hasn't really been ever named a strong candidate for the job like the other three have. And maybe that's coming from agents or something, but I do think part of the reason also is Armstrong is the only one they can actually still interview. They've already brought Wilkes in once 
as far as to the facility, they could bring him in. I do wonder if he may have been a Munchak replacement as far as getting a guy in there, keeping things in motion, getting a second look. Um, that's one thing we'll have to find out. But let's move on and talk about the two defensive guys who are left with Steve Wilkes. I know we've talked a bit about him and uh, Brian Flores, whose name still seems to be out there. And he seems to be maybe the most intriguing one who's left just because he's a defensive guy, but has a background in scouting uh, as an offensive assistant, as well as working as a special teams coach and moving even then to the defensive side as a linebackers coach. Uh, Steve Wilkes is also a linebackers coach for the Panthers. He's already had his interview. He's been interviewing with the Titans as of today on Thursday. Uh, let's talk a little bit about these defensive guys. What do you see in them that you like? What are some of the things that you think are maybe a little bit cautious you're trepidatious about with uh, either one if there is anything yeah Blake I'll start with Steve Wilkes because of the fact that early on it had been reported that the Cardinals had some interest in Steve in some time and Steve's 48 years old he's a first-time defensive coordinator um, and of course he's working under um, you know a regime in Carolina that is defensive minded um, and they run a 4-3 defense. It's different than what Arizona runs. But, again, that's a team that generally you, you think of running the football and playing strong defense. And um, this year, honestly, they took a, a little bit of a step back defensively um, in his first year as a coordinator. But everything that you've heard about him is that, you know, he's a, he's a tremendous motivator, went to college at Appalachian State, has bounced around the NFL. Majority of his time has been spent – uh, as a defensive back coach, he was the defensive back coach of that tremendous Chicago Bears defense in 2006 with the likes of, you know, um, Charles Peanut Tillman. Uh, that that defense was so ferocious, and he was really kind of leading the, the charge in the secondary. Has been with the Carolina Panthers since 2012 and has been a name that you've kind of seen rise up in the coaching ranks. Um, and I think it's somebody who the Cardinals feel like they may have in their back pocket if some of these other hires don't pan out, but I feel like based on his availability, uh, if they wanted to hire him as, as the head coach of this team, it would have happened already. Uh, and he's just kind of available and he's interviewed with, you know, you've, you've seen him link with the giants job and potentially being the favorite there. And obviously that didn't come to fruition. And now he's interviewing with Tennessee, but everything that I've heard is Tennessee is desperate to go with an offensive guy, and I think they're going to end up going with Fleur, the offensive coordinator in uh, L.A. with the Rams. So I don't think he's going to end up with a head job unless the Cardinals hire him. And um, On the flip side, Brian Flores is uh, less qualified really than Wilkes is in his one year as defensive coordinator. Uh, Flores is the linebacker coach uh, for the New England Patriots and has never been a coordinator. In fact, he's never been outside – the Patriots organization. He's been with this franchise since 2004, um, since he was 22, 23 years old, and has been groomed. So if you buy into the fact that you know, anything Bill Belichick touches turns to gold, then this guy is probably your guy. He's only 36 years old. He's going to be 37 when the season starts next year. He started out with the Patriots as a scouting assistant, then transitioned to a pro scout, then eventually became a coach, special teams assistant in 20, uh, 2008, and has been on the staff since then. The good thing about Flores is he's got a little bit of a, of a more rounded background. He worked with the offense in 2010 and then transitioned to the defensive side in 2011. And I think that's where his bread and butter is now. You would think that if he's not considered and hired for the head coaching job of the Arizona Cardinals, he's the likely candidate to succeed 
uh, Matt Patricia, but you know everything that I've heard based on you know reliable sources within the NFL, Adam Schefter, um, Ian Rappaport, is he is a fast riser, and if he's not considered for a head coaching job now, he's going to get you know interviews, multiple interviews, uh, year in and year out, and you have to wonder too, you know, with the with the fact that the the New England Patriots are going to lose Patricia and McDaniel's this offseason. The trepidation and the you know the angst that is going on within the the Patriots franchise, not necessarily on the field, but everything that we've read and heard off the field. You know, does Brian Flores think twice about maybe taking the Cardinal job if he were to be offered it? And the fact that you know maybe Bill Belichick is about done. Maybe Bill Belichick has got one or two years left, and Flores could be the coach in waiting. Just something to keep in mind um, as we move through the next couple weeks, assuming that the Patriots get to the Super Bowl and, in fact, win it. But Flores, to me, I think would be, you know, a little bit of the favorite over Wilkes because, again, Wilkes has been available. The Carolina Panthers didn't make it out of wild card round. He hasn't been hired. He's getting a second interview. But at the same time, I think we would have heard something by now if he were to be the favorite. And, again, uh, has worked with a, a tremendous defensive mind in Ron Rivera but at the same time has been linked to several jobs and hasn't seen it come to fruition. I think the one interesting thing about Wilkes is the fact that you would probably have to change schemes to a 4-3, but, you know, one quick, you know, note is that Star Latulale, their, their fine defensive tackle, is a free agent this offseason, and if Wilkes were to come to the desert, the Cardinals have a little bit of a hole at that position in terms of no, you know, all-star Pro Bowl players uh, along the defensive line, nobody who's been able to take the place of Calais Campbell, I could see them potentially rolling the dice and going after a Starla Tulele to kind of implement and help bridge the gap for a lot of these players on defense. I'm getting way ahead of myself, but you start to connect the dots uh, with regard to that. And I, I flip back to Flores, Blake, and I think about, you know, the fine job that he's done with a linebacking core that is starting, you know, James Harrison and as a street free agent and a lot of these guys that they've been able to develop the flowers of the world um, after they, you know, get rid of multiple, multiple players uh, who are of the all pro caliber uh, mindset, like a Chandler Jones, and they really haven't missed a beat. So I think that's a testament to the coaching staff that they have. And I think the Cardinals will benefit from that. Oh yeah, no, they're the biggest thing I think you can take a look at. I think he even mentioned this with Flores was uh, 23 years of age. He basically was a scouting assistant for the New England Patriots. That's practically unheard of as far as for how young. So this is a guy with a very bright mind, a bright future. I want to take back one thing I said earlier. Steve Wilkes, I thought I think he was like about 42. He's actually 48 years old. So he's going to be a guy who's a bit older. He's right in the middle as far as in between uh, Keith Armstrong at 56 and looking at like a uh, a 38-year-old or like a 36-year-old. Um, I think a lot of it comes down ultimately to who's going to be the best candidate because uh, really between these guys, you can make an argument that there's not really a wrong pick for the Cardinals. I mean, some would argue at least for Keith Armstrong, but if he's going to be a guy who's going to basically go up against all of these like brilliant defensive and offensive minds and a guy who's been on everything, and if he's going to basically shine ahead of all of them, then you know it's not just going to be him, but he's going to be bringing one really good staff with him because that would have to be the main uh, selling point you'd have uh, as far as that. 
Uh, let's go and talk a little bit about the guy. We've, uh, we've mentioned this guy a couple of months back, even before we started hearing about Steve Wilkes. He's been a hot name over, I know, in uh, Arizona that we found out about. But uh, let's talk about Filippo because you and I are both kind of on the same page as far as thinking that he's the guy who actually might be the next head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. It's not a guarantee, but it seems likely that either they're waiting for Flores or they're waiting for a guy like Flip. Uh, what do you think is kind of the biggest thing about where – a lot of the national media have said that they don't know that he's ready for a head coaching job, and yet he's back up here as a strong candidate for the Arizona Cardinals. Let's talk a little bit about Flip. Yeah, I think, Blake, you and I have made it clear, like you said, that he would be our first pick uh, to be the next head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. He just checks all of the boxes that you want that kind of are in vogue with the NFL now. We've talked about the need for an offensive coach. It's an offensive league. You're going to hopefully draft, fingers crossed, a first or second round quarterback and pair him with a young offensive mind, a la, you know, Sean McVay and Jared Goff, what Kyle Shanahan's going to do with Jim Garoppolo. You need to counter that to some effect. And what better way than to do that and pluck somebody from potentially the Andy Reid tree uh, somebody like DiFilippo, who's 39 years old. Um, and I know a lot of people say, well, he's never been a, you know, an elite coordinator. He did a hell of a job with Josh McCown and Johnny Manziel as the Cleveland Brown offensive coordinator in 2015. Um, and I think that, you know, if you're able to succeed in Cleveland of all places, to me, that, that just screams, you know, excellence. Um, he was also the New York Jets quarterback coach in 2009 uh, when the, the Jets went to an AFC championship game. Um, he was also Carson Palmer's quarterback coach in 2008, 2007. When, uh, or is that – am I getting that mixed up? Wasn't he the offensive uh, – no, I'm sorry. He was the offensive uh, quarterback coach in 2014 – or 2012 when Carson Palmer was there. And, That's correct. Um, Hugh and, Jackson trade year, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Got I uh, had my decks mixed up there. But, yeah, was the quarterback coach in 2012. Carson Palmer led that team to 8-8 eight and eight and was pretty productive that year. Um, so when a guy's able to succeed like that um, in non-conventional spots, Jets, Browns, Raiders, uh, and now has gone to the Philadelphia the Eagles and helped continue that and has worked under you know elite offensive minds. Um, I think that just speaks highly of, of somebody like Di Filippo. I th- think again he checks all the boxes for some for somebody who the Cardinals would want to bring in and mentor a young quarterback. I think based on the on the indiv- individuals that he's worked with in the past, he would be open to somebody like a Baker Mayfield, somebody like a Lamar Jackson. He's not married to the to the idea that a franchise quarterback's got to be 6'6", you know, 250 with a rocket arm and stands in the pocket. You could get a little unconventional with with Lipo, and I think that that's where the NFL is headed. I think more and more quarterbacks coming out are having success uh, going against the grain. Their completion percentage is higher, and maybe their height and measurables overall are, are lower. And so it would be you know, be beneficial for the Cardinals to take a risk on somebody who has had a, a, a solid, if not good track record with unconventional quarterbacks. Um, he just, to me, th- I just think he's the best case scenario for this team. I would love, you know, a scenario in which, you know, the Eagles were to, to lose this weekend and Filippo would have his second interview early next week and be named the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. I know there was you know, some rumors and some, you know, some, information being leaked out Blake you mentioned it that perhaps he's not ready uh, if if somebody like you know 
Flores is ready. Wilkes is ready. I don't know what makes Filippo not ready to be a head coach in this league. I think it's a hell of a lot harder to come in with a defensive background if you've only been a coordinator for a year or two or not, in Flores' case, uh, and come in and run an NFL franchise. Because at the end of the day, even if you were a defensive-minded head coach, you're going to be linked to that quarterback, to that offense, because that's what drives success in the NFL. You have to have, at least in the NFC West, to combat the the young offensive mind, somebody who can get the most out of your rookie quarterback. And I think DeFilippo would do the best job. Yeah, definitely. But a lot of it, and it was interesting just kind of with doing some of the different research with how it is. And like you say, if a guy is ready for a head coach job, sometimes maybe you could look at a guy as being a year away. Maybe you look at a guy as coming in where you know you're going to struggle a bit more in the first year. Uh, I think we should probably point at least to Bruce Arians had a lot of doubts and questions when he came in to the 2013 job and the Cardinals, they started off three and four. Remember the comments during the the Seahawks game at home. It was on, I believe it was either Monday night football. I believe it was where people are just like, look at this. This is awful. Like Carson Palmer is screwing up Bruce Arians only chance he's ever going to get a head coaching job. And other people were just bashing Arians for having Palmer throw it like almost 50 times in that game. And things just completely turned a corner after that. They learned the offense had picked up. And I think that's what really we need to see is time to gel. And uh, going with a younger coach, I think, would basically be a huge part of it for that. Uh, what's interesting with his background is, I, and I didn't realize this at least until it made a click, was that uh, Gene Filippo is actually his father. And this is a guy who's been around football his whole life. Very similar to with uh, Flores starting off young. This is a guy who at 10 years old was already working with, like, going through offensive game plans, um, playing that he's going to be on TV, telling his dad about it. And he's made a lot of different strides. You look and follow the successes we talked about with the Jets to the different teams. Even in that 2015 year as the offensive coordinator, they're ranked, like, low as far as yard per game and other stuff. But you take a look at that roster and just the talent that they had for that one. He, at the time, got a career year out of um, Josh McCown uh, after he'd come off kind of a a letdown with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and then just moving over with Manziel and Manziel came out of a make it up as you go kind of offense that all sorts of other issues and he actually even looked like a passable quarterback for a a little while in some of those games so it's like you can try to defend and look at that the big thing ultimately that comes down to is it is still going to be a risk his top coordinators at least if they have James Petra walk would be probably a young uh, young wide receivers coach and a young defensive line coach we don't know how much of the staff they would keep in Arizona even though it'd be nice to be able to pair up some uh, veterans of experience and maybe Brinson Buckner ends up having to walk to a different team he's a guy I know we like but I think it comes down to the fact of is kind of going to be able to take kind of uh, more of a risky route in the sense of basically not rolling the dice necessarily but just going with this youth option uh, I think that's going to be the biggest key, but I think it does seem to make a lot of sense if they want an offensive guy. Um, so I think I would be fully on board with Filippo. I'd also be on board with um, Flores or Wilkes, depending on just what they give the rest of their staff. I think will be very important as long as they've got the quarterback solution. Um, I think that's going to be the big key, uh, especially just looking also when you start talk, talking about minority hires in the Rooney world. The Cardinals are a team that's going to basically shy away from that. Even if they do hire DeFilippo, they've already interviewed like not just well above and beyond because they really want to get the best person for the position. Um, if Todd Bowles is available, he'd probably be the head coach right now, oddly enough. Um, 
Speaking of Todd Bowles, we're going to come back here in just a second on the Bird Game Blitz. Um, there's a very interesting name that's been floated out there as an offensive coordinator, and then we'll start getting into a bit more after this. Pros in the know start with Lowe's, because at Lowe's, pros save big on the supplies they use most. Right now, save even more on select concrete mix, now 30% off when you buy in bulk. Plus, save 5% on eligible purchases every day when you use your Lowe's business credit account. Stop by or visit Lowe'sforpros.com for details. So, pro, now that you know, start with Lowe's. Minimum purchase required. Selection varies by location. Credit offer subject to credit approval. Can't be combined with other credit offers. Exclusions apply U.S. only into the bird game blitz so let's talk a little bit just about um john morton who was recently released by the new york jets he's an offensive coordinator had a very successful year in terms of just getting the most out of a jets offense with josh mccown at the helm that really was not expected to do anything this year uh they used a lot of air raid principles on some of the spread stuff that's kind of very similar to the college game but a lot of kind of maybe clashes with Todd Bowles other assistant coaches and a lot of news coming out that he just did not get along with them for that one um so let's talk a little bit about that is this kind of a guy who maybe you take a look at bringing in if you're the Cardinals maybe he's got a little bit of Todd Haley in him that could pair with a guy like a Wilkes or a Flores and you'd be able to kind of get your quarterback or offensive development there I'm not sure if he's the best fit for the Cardinals, Blake, based on the fact that, you know, he, he's been known to be a little bit impatient. You look at the places he's been prior to the Jets. He was the wide receiver coach of the Saints from 2015 to 2016, but again, had a veteran quarterback in Drew Brees. San Francisco, 2011 to 2014 with, with uh, Jim Harbaugh. He had Alex Smith. Uh, did have Colin Kaepernick, but again, uh, veteran teams. Uh, did help develop Michael Thomas and um, Brandon Cooks in his time in New Orleans, but at the same time, no real track record for developing a young quarterback. And again, if they hire a Wilkes or a Flores, he's going to be asked to do that probably for the first time in his career. And um, I just don't think that he's capable, at least has shown he's capable of doing that. Um, I think he'd be a great addition to the staff as a, you know, a uh, position coach if you were to come in and be your receivers coach and work with somebody like Larry Fitzgerald I think that that would be more than fine but you know I was impressed with the job he did last year I was impressed with that whole Jets staff you know as a whole I think that that you thought going into the season that they were a candidate for the first overall pick they were a candidate for a team that was openly taking based on the the personnel that they were releasing and, and the starting lineup that they were sporting in week one so to their credit, I'm, I'm impressed with that. But at the same time, you know, I think that it's worked against them a little bit. Some of the quarterback decisions that the Jets have made from their front office, the Bryce Petties of the world, obviously, you know, Hackenberg is just a massive disaster in the, in the New York Jets franchise. The fact that he hasn't started a game in two years, um, and they're probably going to be looking at a quarterback in the top 10 this year. So there's just too much toxicity around him right now for me to, to label him as an offensive coordinator um, for, you know, my rookie quarterback. I, again, I keep going back to this. I would much rather go with somebody like Todd Haley. Um, that's just my personal preference, but uh, position coach will be fine. Offensive coordinator. No, thanks. Yeah, it's interesting because if the Jets do promote um, their quarterbacks coach, Jeremy Bates, um, you may have to start questioning about like if they were trying to get rid of him to get this other guy in there. Maybe it's kind of similar to DiFilippo as far as for maybe you got the real brains of the guy who teams are actually looking at as far as for being um, a coach or a leader of men 
a guy who's going to not just, you know, rub people the wrong way unfairly. Uh, perhaps that's the biggest thing, at least with Morton. Uh, it'll be interesting to find out what will go on with him as far as for where he lands, uh, especially just because of the – uh, the fact that it, it was almost very reminiscent of Bruce Arians in a way, as far as where the Jets just kind of a lot of times didn't really stick to the run game. They were still pass happy in a lot of different ways. And they just didn't have the offensive line protection in that sense, or maybe even the best quarterback to be able to run that system. Uh, yeah, that's something at least there. We'll have more probably at least for once we ended up going through with um, whenever the Cardinals get their head coach hired. Um, we'll have to see at least what will go on. Uh, with that and maybe we'll end up taking a look as far as for with um once the senior bowl kind of gets going at least with the practices just to touch in but up until that point uh, we're probably going to be end up just working through the rest of the uh, kind of previewing 2017 uh, previewing 2018 recapping 2017 which is what we're going to shift to now so john we talked about carson palmer and bruce arians last week um Let's talk a little bit about some of the big questions that we had coming into this year and kind of recap about where we came out of it and how we feel. If a question was answered, do we still have it? Or do we get our question answered in a negative way? And let's start with the first topic, which I think everyone has kind of wanted to talk a little bit about, but it's, it's kind of faded away with all the rest of the just the craziness revolving around the Cardinals that change. Let's talk about Tyron Matthew and the fact that he's going to get a huge bonus next year as part of his contract. And he's a player who a lot of fans at least were talking about in week four as he needs to get cut so they can free up cap space for next year. And he finishes as the player play the second most amount of snaps in the NFL right behind one rookie player for the Tennessee Titans, Adoree Jackson. Let's talk about Tyron Matthew. Uh, we've talked a little bit about him last week if he's going to be staying next week. Was that a question that we had answered from camp or did we just kind of push that off a year, do you think? I feel like that's it's a lazy take by fans to look at Tyron's salary and look at the quote-unquote lack of impact that he's had from a statistical standpoint. People who may not watch the game and strictly go to a box score uh, to determine a player's youth probably or value probably don't know what they're talking about. What you need to know all that, that, that matters to me is, you know, entering the postseason – Tyron Matthew was second to A.J. Bowie of the of the Jacksonville Jaguars for most times targeted this year without a touchdown, uh, sandwiched between, you know, Marshawn Lattimore. So he had a very, very solid year still coming back from that, from that ACL. I think next year he's going to look like the honey badger of old. I think that he got used to playing a little heavier this year. He's, he talked about putting on some weight to be able to take on more of a load and we saw that he led the team in snaps he was phenomenal in terms of being consistent in there every Sunday um, so we see him transition maybe not the free safety that he once was before the the two knee surgeries but just a well-rounded safety who is still tremendous against the run can play the slot can play the outside if you need him can match up well on tight ends and really has become a vocal leader not only in the locker room but in the community he's somebody that right now the Cardinals have a lot of problems on this roster and even some on the defensive side, but Tyron Matthew is not it. And he deserves that content to him. I totally agree with you there. And uh, the leadership aspect is just huge. Like not just a leader in the community and the impact that he has there, but you can also see once he actually started playing better, it was like the defense took on a whole different type of swagger that came along with it. I do think that in some ways he might be the heart and soul of that defense. Perhaps Buda Baker ends up taking on more of a role for that and entering next year. Um, Buda Baker, who was of course named as far as uh, to the AP uh, I believe it was as far as for the first all pro uh, for special teams, which is a tremendous honor. It's an honor that um, really like so few players actually gets even more important, honestly, than the pro bowl. 
Uh, let's talk a bit about at least the big questions that we had with um, one guy coming, one guy leaving. Chandler Jones, I think we had a question answered with him about whether he'd be one of those guys who'd sign his contract and then just kind of keep doing what he had been. He exploded and probably should have been the defensive player of the year. That was an easy question answered. Calais Campbell left, and we talked a bit about with just the impact that he had on the Cardinals, the impact that we've seen with the Jaguars, where they're still playing, going up against some people that mocked him for not going to the Broncos. Let's talk about just that and the fact that Robert Kandichi is a guy who we entered hoping to have him be either the replacement or seeing that he'd be in. At the end of the year, we're still kind of not sure. He picked up his play a lot against the Giants and played a very good game against the Seahawks. But what do you think about Kandichi? Have, have we actually learned anything about him yet? We've learned that he is still semi-uncoachable. He's still immature. He's still somebody that really right now doesn't have a set role going into 2018. He isn't considered a starter. And if you're a first-round pick, I don't care if you're 10, 12, 15, 29, in Kimdichi's instance, you are a bust. Uh, Going into your third year and, and not being within the starting lineup, you're considered a bust. Uh, so that's what Robert Kimdichie is right now. It's up to him to change it. There's an opportunity for him to change it. Uh, I brought up the example of Calvin Pace not, you know, finding his groove until the last year of his deal with the Cardinals and parlaying that into a nice career and free agent contract with the with the New York Jets. But the Calais Campbell thing, Blake, we've we've talked about it at nauseum. Uh, was it a mistake? I don't know how you can say it wasn't with the fact that the guy's probably going to be defensive player of the year within the NFL. He spearheaded uh, one of the best, if not the best defenses in the NFL in Jacksonville and one of the best defenses in terms of, you know, production getting after the quarterback in sacks since really the 85 Chicago bears Calais himself had a career high in sacks with 14 and a half. He never even sniffed that amount with the Cardinals. So you, you talk about the fact that he was probably motivated even after that deal, um, and maybe a little bit spurned that the Cardinals really didn't offer a super competitive deal to keep him and thought he could be replaceable. Uh, On the Chandler Jones side of things, you know, it was great to see after he got paid, he didn't just rest on the money he made and the production that he had already done for the Cardinals and, you know, to some effect, the Patriots. He got paid off of that time as well. So, to come in and lead the league in sacks with 17 and really just be a, a complete disruptor and have one of the best seasons that really a defender's ever had for the, for the Arizona Cardinals, uh, I think speaks volumes to, you know, his work ethic and, and to his character to come out and play well on a team that, you know, after a certain point, probably midseason, knew it wasn't going to be playoff bound. But, you know, you'd never know that with the way Chandler Jones played. Uh, I just, you know, I'm disappointed that the Cardinals weren't able to keep Calais and um, Chandler Jones in the same lineup uh, for years to come and instead have made you know, a series of, let's face it, free agent blunders and unfortunate decisions, you know, giving Jermaine Gresham $28 million. I know a lot of people will go back to the Tyron Matthew extension as a, as a reason we didn't sign Calais, but Cardinals had money to spend. The cap goes up every year. Had they really wanted to match that offer for Calais, they could have manipulated the cap, but it just wasn't something that Steve Kime was, you know, thinking was a good investment. And we remember the 2015 season, you know, every other week Arians would call out Calais for his play and the lack of, you know, impact plays and intensity that, that he was showing. And so maybe the maybe the change was good for Calais in the sense that he, he got to go to a team and really become 
the leader of that franchise. I know they've got Leonard Fournette on the mm. offensive st- side of things, but you know, you, you look at the fact that that team didn't have an identity coming into this year, and the, his signing really has tr- transformed that team and that franchise along with Tom Coughlin. You could add that those are the two biggest you know, factors in this, this team's turnaround this year and are the two biggest names within the franchise right now. So I'm happy for him. It's unfortunate, but at the same time, I'm, I'm enjoying the playoff run that Clayus and the Jaguars are having in that. I hope it continues. Yeah, for sure. And mentioning with Jermaine Gresham, it'll be very interesting because he had a torn Achilles, and that's a, an injury that takes a long time to heal, not just to heal, but get back to form. It'll be really interesting just because he signed that new contract, at least, um, as far as we're coming into the year. Uh, we're assuming he'll be back in Arizona. Uh, that maybe is going to be something to be interesting if that's an out that they end up having for the contract, at least, for that. Yeah. But um, I, I, think I don't think really- they'll ever – I don't think he'll ever play for the Cardinals again, honestly, Blake. It, it might think, be the case for that uh, one. The biggest thing right now is you don't have another spot on the roster except for Ricky Seals-Jones, basically, because Troy Nicholas won't be back. That was one of the things we learned of was, who's going to be the tight end, too? And Seals-Jones had a, a nice couple of weeks with Gabbert once they switched back to Stanton. Either he didn't look his way or they didn't run the routes to him. And Stanton's arm favored a lot of the wide receiver play as well, but – I think it'll be interesting just because to see if Seals Jones, if it's like a small flash and the team's found some film, or if he's going to be a guy coming in next year that you're going to start seeing whoever the new offensive coordinators will use more. Maybe it's going to be another year of working on blocking, getting a fullback. There's so many things to be able to work on and figure out. Part of that's going to revolve around all the players who are coming back from IR. Let's talk about just the 2015 class in general, which included the likes of DJ Humphreys, Marcus Golden, and David Johnson. Two-thirds of that group came in basically as uh, – Pro Bowl level talents and DJ Humphreys came in with a lot of questions and all three of them ended up on IR. Let's go ahead and at least break down. What do you think as far as that we've not maybe not that we've learned from this year, but let's talk a little bit more about just with DJ Humphreys and just with the role that he has next year. Cause we've, we've talked about him as far as for he's shown that he can be a capable tackle in this league. Can he stay healthy? Do you think that he's a guy that the Cardinals at least can use as a selling point to one of these head coaches that's coming in? Probably not. I think that he is more viewed as somebody that's going to be in the mix for one of the five starting jobs on the offensive line, but certainly not viewed as a cornerstone player at this point. He's just been too inconsistent either on the field or with his injuries, but it is at least somewhat encouraging that when he has been healthy the last two years, he's shown positive signs as being somewhat of a franchise left tackle. But again, he just, he just hasn't played enough. And, you know, he avoided major injury this past season. We thought he might have torn up his knee. That wasn't the case. And he's already working out and posting videos. And and that's good to see. But really, outside of David Johnson and one more year of Larry Fitzgerald, one or two more years, uh, you have no offensive cornerstones uh, or young players to speak of that, that you can really get excited about. Humphreys is probably the closest to that. But again, um, you are what your you know your resume says, and he's somebody who just can't stay healthy. So until he proves otherwise, I think the Cardinals would would probably benefit from signing multiple left tackles or multiple tackles in free agency, and and potentially even drafting another. Uh, we saw Will Holden play toward the end of the season, and he didn't embarrass himself. But again, it's it's too early to decide whether or not he's going to be able to to be a factor on the offensive line. That's a unit in itself that's going to need to be turned over uh, almost entirely a la 2013. But as far as DJ Humphrey goes, I'm rooting for him. I hope he succeeds. 
Uh, but right now, uh, I think it's 50-50 whether or not he pans out uh, just as a quality left tackle for the team. I think, you know, that's all you can ask for until he plays a full season. But the 2015 draft as a whole, even with the uncertainty around uh, DJ Humphreys, is Kimes' best draft, no question. You get, you know, a perennial pro bowl or maybe an all-pro in David Johnson in the third round, and then Marcus Golden, who a lot of us thought might have been a reach in the second round, in his second year has 12 and a half sacks. And, you know, I know he missed this season with an ACL, but all accounts should be back next next year and contributing. Uh, you get a franchise, you know, pass rusher and a, you know, a, a franchise, probably the best running back outside of, you know, Otis Anderson, this, this franchise has ever seen in David Johnson uh, at the running back position. Um, that's going to be tough to. Yeah, definitely. And that'll be interesting. There's been uh, some rumors and reports that um, Johnson might be actually signed to a long-term deal this offseason. That's like very edge of the rumor mill for that one. I still think that it's possible he may end up going through and getting a franchise tag just due to um, the fact of trying to work out what a running back's going to look like. He's a little bit older. That's more stuff to be able to try to figure out after we get through this season. One thing to touch back on since I, we skipped over it a little bit as far as for looking at Clay's Campbell's replacement was, I think we may have learned that it might not be Robert Kandichi who was Clay's replacement, but rather Olsen Pierre, who was inactive for every game last year, was on the roster because Arizona didn't want to lose him. He ended up basically with 24 tackles. Um, it had four and a half sacks even, which is, you know, Kandichi still has been looking kind of for his first official NFL sack I believe uh as far as for tackles for loss an interesting stat that I was looking at today was that uh, only Larry uh Ogunjobi and David Irving as far as interior linemen go had more tackles at or behind the line of scrimmage than Olsen Pierre and Olsen Pierre he basically ended up playing just only about like uh he played about 326 snaps so he was on even fewer snaps in those two so I think that's one of the biggest things as far as going forward we don't know if he's a cornerstone yet but he was incredibly impressive had a forced fumble of Russell Wilson in the last game of the season I think that's the kind of guy if you're looking at 2017 review if you're looking for a guy to replace Calais Campbell we might have found it and that guy is the guy who's totally unexpected let's go and talk a little bit just about two positions that we had really discussed and where the Cardinals might go for it next year, because one of them, the answer might be sitting right out there, but there's a little bit of risk involved. The other position we went in thinking there was eight or nine of those guys potentially on the roster. Turns out might not be one. We'll cover that and wrap it up next year on the bird game blitz. Three, four, we started off the year with Justin Battle wondering if he's going to be a quarterback to another guy to go against. We started off just talking a little bit about our second wide receiver and really ended with Larry Fitzgerald as the only guy you kind of were going to take into 2018. What do you think about those two positions, at least? Should the Cardinals bring Tremont Williams back? And what about these guys like Jerron, John Brown, and J.J. Nelson? I think the biggest, you know, conspiracy theory out there right now is the Cardinals need to use either, you know, high dollars in free agency or, you know, a premium draft pick on a cornerback. Um, that is just such garbage to me. If you've watched this team, they've got an all pro and Patrick Peterson at one of the quarter positions. They've got, you know, a pro bowl caliber safety when he's healthy and playing well in Tyron Matthew. And then they've got Buda Baker, who is one of the best young safeties in the NFL. Uh, how many resources can you put into that unit 
you know, you look at Tyron was a third round pick. Buddha was the second. Peterson was a first. Can they really afford with the fact that you have no quarter stone players again on offense to take a first round corner? I saw Mel Kuyper have Josh Jackson of Iowa going to the Cardinals in the first round of his first mock draft. And again, I think Josh is going to be a nice player, but that is a position to me that you just look for somebody who really isn't going to embarrass himself and can play solid football like Tremont Williams did this past season. The problem with Justin Bethel is he had limited um, fluid fluidity in his hips and got burnt too many times and just is too stiff to play the position. And then once Tremont Williams came in, he played much better. And coincidentally, that's when the defense defense started playing better. So, you, you just find somebody who, who's kind of a middle-of-the-road player. Maybe he's a little bit older, like a Tremont Williams, to come and bring some experience. But, again, I think the days of you got to have two corners that are all pro or they've got to be Pro Bowl levels, I, I just don't think that's realistic. I think what Jacksonville got this year was an outlier. I think what Denver got a couple years ago with Chris Harris and Aqib Tlaib was an outlier. The Cardinals have too many other needs to spend premium resources on a corner Uh, on a flip side from an offensive standpoint, from a receiver standpoint, I think again, Blake, if Larry Fitzgerald comes back, I think that's a position again, you have to push down on the um, wish list until they find an offensive line, which is way more important. And again, the number one position would be quarterback and they need two, if not three. So you've got to flood those positions The fact of the matter is you've got Larry Fitzgerald under contract who is right now a BB plus receiver, if not an A minus on certain Sundays. You've got JJ Nelson who won't embarrass himself. Let's see what he can do in his fourth year in the NFL. Um, And the fact that, you know, let's get a quality, maybe rookie quarterback in to work with him. He's still got elite speed. He still runs, you know, a four, three consistently um, week in and week out. And then maybe Chad Chad Williams shows you something that was such a waste of a draft pick a year ago because of the fact that not that he didn't perform, but you knew he wasn't going to tr- crack the lineup with John Brown and JJ and Larry and Jerome Brown. Um, so things are going to be expected of him of the Grambling product uh, this this coming season in 2018. So. I don't think it's a position where you're going to see the Cardinals invest a lot in this offseason. I think that if Larry does retire or had retired by now, you know, maybe they dabble in the the, the Jarvis Landry pool uh, of free agency. Maybe they look at somebody like Allen Robinson. But, again, I, I'm of the position that you can win with C to B receivers if you've got the franchise quarterback that can elevate them along with a supporting cast up front on the offensive line that doesn't embarrass themselves. So corner and wide receiver to me, Blake, are complete afterthoughts right now. Those are positions I think they can address late in free agency. Yeah, that's yeah, I totally agree with you there. It's it's gonna be really interesting to figure out just for if Fitzgerald leaves, then the, all of a sudden you at least have more money to kind of sign one of those veteran guys. Uh, I do think that he wants to stay. It'll of course just depend on what'll go on with the coaching situation. Um, I was actually curious if Todd Haley was gonna help or hurt if he was gonna be uh, involved in the Cardinals, whether as an offensive coordinator of any type. Uh, just with the he and Fitzgerald notably had disagreements, but he ultimately made him better. Uh, let's go ahead and just kind of wrap up with looking at the rookies that came in this year. We touched a little bit on Chad Williams, and he's going to have a lot expected of him last, this year. I, I know that with Jerron Brown and John Brown 
having their contracts up. It's kind of a nece- necessary for Arizona to take a guy that may have not gotten the, the guy they were looking for. Uh, but he, he's got some intrigue, at least to him. Let's talk at least about just the play of Buda Baker and Hassan Reddick to wrap this up at least tonight for the Cardinals. Um, is this going to be the two guys who are going to kind of look at his defensive cornerstones looking forward? Or is it just going to be kind of one of the guys we've seen might be that more defensive or at least special teams cornerstone moving forward? As Hassan Reddick ended the year, uh, he avoided the injury, he stayed healthy at least, but let's talk a little bit about these two picks because these are two guys who, when you're going to take a look at maybe if it's a Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson, if the Cardinals aren't able to kind of lock in that quarterback, you're always going to be kind of comparing their careers to these two guys. Yeah, Blake, you just hit my major point on the head. The fact that Hassan Reddick, this team touted him as a top five player and that's all well and good. You better back it up in year one, like a Luke Keekley did and he did not, and I don't know if that was the fact that he was not able to produce based on the amount of you know reps he was given an inside linebacker, but once Marcus Golden went down, they primarily used him as an edge rusher, and you know he just wasn't super productive. But again, I'm not so much concerned with his rookie season. The Cardinals got good production out of Chandler Jones on the outside. They got great production out of somebody like Josh Bynes, who was completely under the radar. They got solid production out of Carlos Dansby. Dayon Buchanan played well at inside linebacker toward the end of the season. Somebody I think is up for, you know, a contract extension. It's the fact that Hassan Reddick was taken right after the likes of Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. And you told, and I by you, I mean Bruce Aarons and Steve Kime told the fan base that you got a transcendent player to inside linebacker. I just didn't see it last year. Again, year one. He, he, it's not like he was, you know, a complete miss in the first round in terms of the reps he got. He did play a fair amount, um, but he is somebody that we need to see almost a jump to a Pro Bowl level to justify their reasoning next year. And I know that sounds crazy to say, but the inside linebacker position isn't a cornerstone position, in my opinion, like left tackle, like quarterback, like pass rusher, like number one corner. And the fact that the Cardinals had already taken one in Dayom Buchanan uh, in 2014 makes it all the more head-scratching that they wouldn't simply give up uh, a third-round pick, which would have equated to Chad Williams, in order to secure Patrick Mahomes. Although so, we will again, say, at least as far as Dayom Buchanan, they did probably draft him as a safety. So maybe true. That's, that part, at least wondering if he ended up with two linebackers. And Buchanan ended up, did come on strong at the very end. That was one of the guys we didn't touch on, was seeing how he recovered from his injury. But... I totally would agree with you is that this is a guy who when you talk about giving up a pick and moving up, that was what was reported was they weren't willing to give up a third. Perhaps that's on Bruce Arians as far as for just not wanting to give up their shot at a wide receiver in a year where they figured that they needed wide receivers for all of that. But yeah, I think the expectation you nailed is it's going to be high. You're looking at as far as a, trans, a transcendent player. He didn't really even start kind of making some of the plays until he moved to outside linebacker. And even then it wasn't that he was a pass rusher. It was more of just him as a kind of an off ball linebacker, which I value off-ball linebackers pretty high as far as if you can play at that elite level. I do think that they're game changers. You get to see kind of that with Daryl Washington and some others when he played for the Cardinals. But ultimately, you're really going to need to end up seeing him be that kind of always-in-the-box kind of rushing, kind of uh, being that hyper-athletic guy who can terrorize opposing quarterbacks and running backs. And I'm not sure if we're going to get that one after year one. You brought in Dansby kind of to have him teach him, learn from the master, adjust to that new position. But you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, it just seemed like a waste of a resource, especially when you consider the fact that I know Aarons was pushing for impact players this past season to try to win a championship. But when you flooded that position 
with veterans like a Bynes and a Dansby and you had they own in place, you know, what was the reasoning behind taking Reddick when you knew he, he, he may not play for, you know, half the season, if not longer. It just didn't make sense to me. And it's frustrating now as we sit here going into 2018 and we have hardly any tape of him playing inside linebacker. You, you go back to the senior bowl last year where he made his money, he was rushing the passer. So the Cardinals don't need him to do that. A lot of teams might need him to do that because they don't have the edge rushers that Arizona has, but Arizona's got two guys who can put up 12 to 15 sacks a year in Marcus Golden and Chandler Jones. They need somebody who is a transcendent inside linebacker to put together with Dayon Buchanan to, to create one of the better, if not the best linebacking cores in all football. And I believe that was Kimes intent, but at the same time, you know, again, coupled with the fact that, you missed on two franchise quarterbacks or what we think are franchise quarterbacks. It just makes it all the more frustrating. Now on the flip side, the acquisition of Buda Baker looks like one of the best in the Steve Kime era. Uh, I remember, you know, hurtling around my TV when the Cardinals traded up, they gave up their second, they gave up a, f- a fourth and I believe a fourth this, this net, this upcoming year to, to trade up for Buda Baker in the second round um, and took him within the top 40 players uh, of the 2017 draft, I remember thinking, Blake, that was Deshaun Kaiser. I thought for sure that that was the player they were going to select after whiffing or passing on Trubisky, Mahomes, and Watson in the first round. The fact that they had a ton of interest in Deshaun Kaiser pre-draft, and then you see them take this undersized safety from Washington, and you kind of scratch your head because they've got Bethay under contract and Branch and and Tyron, but sure enough, Buda Baker was everything they could have hoped for, if not more. I know the Washington coaches, Chris Peterson specifically said, he is the best football player, uh, offense or defense that he's ever coached. And Chris Peterson is a tremendous football coach, a tremendous offensive mind, somebody who's well-respected within the college ranks. And for him to say that about Buda Baker, I think is the ultimate compliment. I think he's somebody as, as he continues to grow and, and get used to the game speed of the NFL, he's going to become a perennial pro bowler. He made the pro bowl, obviously, this year as a rookie contributing on special teams. Right now, I think he is Earl Thomas without the ball skills. I think if he develops that ability to, to bring in that, that interception, that was his biggest kind of bugaboo knack on him at the college ranks that he wasn't able to come down with those big picks. If he ever figures that out, I think he's going to be a top – five to three safety in the NFL. That's that's how high I think his ceiling is. I think he's got a, a higher ceiling, frankly, than Tyron Matthew has. Uh, I think he's a little bit thicker. I think he's going to hold up well uh, longer. And I think that with the likes of Patrick Peterson and, again, the aforementioned Tyron Matthew, Cardinals are set in the secondary. Uh, you know, inside linebacker, a little bit different story. But uh, Buda Baker looks like uh, a great pick for Steve. Definitely agree there. Uh, well, that'll wrap it up for us here in the Bird Gang Blitz. We'll kind of go over some more of the positions, at least moving forward. Uh, but for now, at least until the Cardinals have a head coach, it looks like we're just going to be kind of uh, playing the waiting game with the rest of everyone else. Uh, hopefully next time we'll check in, we'll be able to have a new head coach. We'll be able to discuss a lot more of that. Uh, wrapping up tonight, John, just let everyone know where they can find you, have some conversations as we kind of go through this uh, new start for this Cardinals organization and uh, a lot of uncertainty, but a lot of excitement as well. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Johnny's Football, J-O-H-N-N-Y-S Football. And, Blake, I'll ask where they can find you. And then I'll ask if you can give a prediction what 
who you think will be the next head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. I'm going to go with my gut and go with John Filippo. I wonder if you feel the same way. Yeah, I think part of me would feel the same way with the league rumors that they'd want to hire an offensive guy. Um, I think that I could probably put Filippo as 1A with Flores as 1B. Uh, with my gut, I would probably lean towards Filippo just from the fact that if the Cardinals are going to be looking at a quarterback, whoever that guy is going to be, they're going to look at a guy who I think is going to have proven track record. And from what we do know, at least from what Ian Rappaport's reported, he's the only candidate that we know that Steve Kime has kind of coveted or had his eye on for quite some time. Perhaps it's true of all the guys who are still out there, but that's one that we at least know for sure. And we knew that before we even had that first interview going. So I'll predict you, Filippo. And uh, if you're looking for that one, or if we're wrong and incorrect as of really right after the fact, uh, you can tweet me at Blake Murphy seven. I also am going to be writing for revenge of the birds, have a lot of great upcoming quarterback work and especially some senior bowl coverage that'll be coming up there. Um, I'll probably have a, a quick little interview at least with um, one of the guys who we know is going to be on site there for that one. We'll see if I can get him on, on a, a call at least, but there's going to be some good stuff that we have at least moving up as we get into this draft season, which is one of our favorite times of the year. Uh, have a good night, John. Have a good night to everyone who's uh, listening in. Good next time for the bird game blitz. All right. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive rate shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.